right. Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Everyone doing fine? Good. Good. Good to see you. Good to be here. Um, all right. Well, we're going to just go ahead and jump right in this morning to our message. We do have Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, uh, it's a better way to pray. Thank you. Uh, sorry, I was going to say our last book. Um, it's a better way to pray tonight here at 6 o'clock. And anyway, um, so anyway, we're just going to go ahead and jump into our, our, our message this morning. We're uh, this is part two, as we are looking at seeing Jesus in the Revelation. Seeing Jesus in the Revelation. And I, I, I made some comments last week, you know, I've shied away from teaching on this book in the past, uh, but I've not led because of the days that we're living in, and also uh, it's time for me to share what I believe God has uh, given me as a, a revelation on the Revelation of Jesus Christ, if that makes sense. Uh, kind of a double take on that word. Anyway, um, but just in essence, I believe the book of Revelation is not a book of doom and gloom. It's not a book about damnation. It's not a book about the tribulation. It's not a book about the Antichrist. Although some of those things are included in the book. I believe it's a book about a person, and I believe that person is Jesus. We'll get into talking about a little bit of the end-time events as we get later into our study, deeper into the book. But I'm, gonna sp I'm spending a lot of time here on purpose to build a platform because Jesus needs to be our focus. Not only in the ages to come, the things that are going to come upon the earth that have been prophesied, both by Jesus, Paul, and even uh, John. But we need the, the, uh, Jesus to be the focus on any tribulation we go through. On anything. Even the good days. Even without tribulation. Jesus must be the focus. And I, I believe this is uh, a book about revealing Jesus. Including the revealing of his second coming. That is there too. And I'm not trying to skate away from that. But... If that's all you're focused on when you read this book, you've missed the message. And this book is not to produce fear, because God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And I believe we need to look at this book, and in the, in the days, not only in this day, but in the days that are coming, we need to have a relationship with Jesus, and that must be our focus. That must be our anchor. That must be our strong tower. That must be our city of refuge. But not just for us. If all we're focused about is us, to me, I have a problem with that too. There's just something selfish about that. I'm not saying that we don't take care of ourselves, but we are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We are the light of the world. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And we have an answer. And we, and just as Christ has shined his beacon, and we call ourselves Lighthouse Discipleship Center, and for a reason. But not only that, we, Christ can show his beacon so our lives can get placed on the rock of Jesus Christ, but so Christ in us can be a beacon to the world. Because the Bible says, Jesus says, that many hearts will fail them with fear for the things coming on the earth. But if we have built our house on the rock of Jesus Christ, we're not going to give ourselves to fear. We're not going to be in fear. Because Jesus is the hope of our salvation. Does that make sense? 
And so Jesus, I want to see Jesus in the Revelation. And as we get into even some of the, the eschatology or end time events, Jesus must be the focus. That makes sense? As we mag I don't want to magnify the end time events. I want to magnify Jesus. We're going to touch base on some things as we get deeper in our study. But I believe John was given three things. And we, we see this in Revelation 1.19. So go ahead and we'll, we'll just go ahead and start there real quick. Revelation 1.19. And he, he was given instructions what he was to write about in this book that we call the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Alright, let me just see if my iPad is going to cooperate this morning. And it is. Okay, there we go. We have scripture this morning. That's good. Uh, Revelation 1.19, we'll spend a little more time as we get closer to this in our study. But, uh, John was instructed to write the things which you have seen, and the things which you are, are, which is, excuse me, I'm going to read that again. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. In other words, and I've read, I've heard Dwayne Sheriff talk about this, I've heard uh, Lawson talk about this, I've heard uh, uh, Andrew uh, in his commentary teach on this as well. And all of them agree with what I'm saying is uh, this, this book is broken up into three segments. One is John is writing the things that he saw, which the whole book can be uh, about that. Um, but then also, but we're going to focus more specifically on chapter one. And then the things which are, which we'll be focusing on the letters to the churches in chapters two and three. And the things which will take place after this. And actually if you read Revelation 4.1, and we'll get there eventually. Uh, you'll see that even John makes a, a statement on the very first verse after the letters to the churches about the things that will take place hereafter. And so there's a transition. But I believe also, that even though these were instructions, that there's a purpose to, and this is just my opinion on this, is that if Jesus is not the focus, when we get into talking about the eschatology or end time events, there's going to be confusion. And, and if, if Jesus is not the focus, fear and anxiety can creep in very fast. That makes sense? And so, and I'm not just talking about reading it, but when we start experiencing some of these things, in the age is there to come. We're in a church age, but there are ages coming. Paul talks about it, Jesus talks about it, and John talks about it in the New Testament. And that's not the Buddha's fear. But Jesus is coming again. And I believe he's ushering in. He's setting up the stage for his church to reign on this earth for a thousand years. And there's, 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 there's a process for some of that. And we'll get into some of that a little bit later. I don't want to get off focus right now. But we, we've been looking at this book. Excuse me as I scroll back up. I want to start from the beginning real quick because we didn't get very far last week. But again, this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. If anyone misses that right off the, right off the first words that Paul, John penned as he wrote this letter, this prophecy, that's the focus of this book. And I'm going to keep repeating that over and over and over again because I believe it's essential. I believe it's crucial that we understand that this book is about the revelation, a revealing. It's not a book of secrecy. 
It's not a book of hidden codes. It's a book revealing, making plain, making open, revealing Jesus Christ. Okay? And which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Who, and we focused on this last week, who bore witness <coughs> excuse me, to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all the things that he, John, saw. We focused last week because, like I may mention last week, that there's five aspects. I don't believe these are the only aspects that John saw. But we're going to focus on five aspects in the introduction of the series. And our introduction is probably going to be much longer than the rest of the message and the rest of the book that we look at. Um, but for me, that's more important because if we don't get this foundation, when we look at the rest of the book, we're going to get off key when we're going to get confused. And, uh, and, and so, uh, again, Jesus must be the focus. But we're going to look at five aspects of what John saw in Jesus Christ. We looked at last week, and we took the whole time looking at it, and that Jesus is the living word. We need to have a relationship with Jesus. We need to have a relationship with the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the living word. That makes sense? And we need to have that, we need to have a relationship with Jesus on any day. But especially in the days that are coming, we need to have a relationship with Jesus, the living word. It, when the days are coming, there could be a lot of confusion coming. We know that confusion doesn't come from God. Confusion will come from the en enemy, the evil one. But if we don't have a relationship with Jesus, and we're not abiding in him as his disciples, then we're not going to know the truth that will set us free in the time, in the time that we need it. Does that make sense? We need to have a relationship. And, and even on a good day, even with everything going well, you need to have a relationship with Jesus because the enemy is not going to give up in trying to deceive you and trying to trip you up into some sin or some immorality or whatever the case may be. He's going to tempt you where your flesh is weak and even on a good day. We need to have a relationship with the Word of God. And he, uh, anyway, I'm going to say some more on that as we get further into the study. But uh, so anyway, there's five aspects that we're going to be looking at in this uh opening part of our, our series here on seeing Jesus in, in the Revelation. And those five things are uh, Jesus is the living word, Jesus is the grace of God, Jesus is the Savior of the world, Jesus is the eternal God, and Jesus is the resurrected King of eternity. Today I hope to focus on the, the, the second and third one, and if we get time we'll go further, but I don't know about how I'll get there. So we're going to focus on Jesus and the grace of God. And hopefully we'll also focus on Jesus as the Savior of the world. I'm not trying, I'm not going to try uh, to speed through this, especially the first part of this, because to me this is very foundational. Through the rest, it's very crucial, very foundational to the, the rest of the book that we're going to be looking at. If you don't even get anything else I say in the rest of the book, if you don't get this, to me you missed the book. And you missed the revelation of Jesus. This is crucial. Because even what, no matter what happens or doesn't happen in the end time events, you need to know, you need to have a relationship, <coughs> excuse me, with Jesus, the living word, 
You need to have a relationship with Jesus, the grace of God. You need to have a relationship with Jesus, the Savior of the world. You need to have a relationship with Jesus as the eternal God. And you need to have a relationship with Jesus as the resurrected King of eternity. That is more important. No matter what happens, no matter what doesn't happen, whether you understand the rest of the book or not understand the rest of the book, that is crucial. And as a pastor, that's what I want to focus on. That makes sense? And we're going to look at some other things, but this, I'm going to spend more time on the principle, on the foundation, on the gospel, on Jesus, than I am about the events that take place. Um, okay? So, uh, today what I want to look at are Jesus as the, the grace of God. And meaning that we preach grace a lot. This is, uh, my, not, some of this won't be new to you, but I'm going to look at some things when I'm new, uh, maybe a perspective that you haven't seen before. Uh, hopefully this will be, no matter what, I'm hoping this will be edifying and, and beneficial to you. Okay, that's my heart. Um, so let's pick it up uh, here at verse 3, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. And Paul, or John writes, excuse me, Blessed is he who reads those and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keeps those things which are written in him, for the time is near. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins and in his own blood, and he has made us kings and priests to his God. And Father to him, might be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so. Amen. And we're going to stop there just for a moment. And I've read a lot of, lot of information here between verses 3 and 7. First of all, let me just uh, read, read verse 3. Blessed is he who reads those. Uh, I gotta read that again. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John makes a promise. And he promises a promise, and then he's writing when he hears Jesus saying to him through the angel that there, there's a promise of blessing to those who read this book, who hear it. The words of this prophecy and who keep the things which it says. It was a blessing. Some of us, if we're not looking at what lens we have when we look at this, we some of us can look at this and see performance. You're saying, I have to read and do. There's some, um, the blessing is contingent on what I do. How do you know it's by grace you are saved through faith? We need to believe what God says and we need to act. We need to respond to it. We need to receive it. We're not the source. The Word of God is. Jesus is the source. But what good does it do to, to hear the Word of God and not believe it? What good does it do to hear the Word of God and not receive it? If we receive it, if He is our Savior and our Lord, we will do what He says. Including... Believing on Jesus. The Bible says that we need to believe on Jesus. 
And that is something we do. He provided the sacrifice. He provided his grace. But we need to act on it. We need to receive it. I'm, gonna spend, uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time just on that thought. And I hope as we go forward you'll, you'll see the connection. I mean, um, and then in verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, we'll look at that a little bit later, but there's a colon there, but he's writing this to all seven churches, grace to you and peace from him who is, who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne. A couple things here. First of all, <clears throat> this kind of, uh, this first point is kind of why I'm going with this. Jesus is the grace of God. <clears throat> I don't believe this book is about fear. And a lot of people, when they read this book, they read it and are, and it, with a connotation of fear. I believe this is a book of grace. That uh, Let me say it again. I believe this is a book that is to produce grace. And it's to produce peace in our life. That makes sense? Okay. But it's not the case with many today. Instead, many are gripped with fear, which indicates to me that they are not reading and they are not interpreting this book correctly. I believe when we receive the, the prophecy of this book and the words of this book, as John is trying to communicate, this prophecy of this book will produce grace and peace in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing here in verse 4, John makes mention, and he'll echo this again in, verse, in chapter 5, but he talks about the seven spirits who are before his throne. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this, but I will say this. If you were to read in the book of Isaiah, in both Ross and Purdue and Andrew Womack also connect this with Isaiah chapter 11. In Je Isaiah 11 chapter, uh, excuse me, in Isaiah 11 verses 1 to 2, the there's a prophecy of Jesus. And in that prophecy, there are seven aspects of the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God. I'm going to list those for you. I'm not going to go there and not going to spend time on this. But I just want to bring clarity because sometimes when we when we read seven spirits of God, we get confused. We need seven spirits. I thought there was one God. What are we doing with seven? Where does seven come from? And these here are the seven aspects that we read in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 2. And Isaiah makes it clear that he talks about the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Now, I'm just going to read those again for you. You can read it for yourself in Isaiah chapter, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. Those are, I believe, the seven aspects of the Spirit of God. Okay? Now, in verse 5, Revelation 1, 5, John writes, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We're going to talk about the last part 
excuse me, at length pretty soon here. But I just want to focus on my want to make some again some highlights about uh, verse five as we're walking through this book. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Now again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this, as this is not the main scope of my study this morning, or in this book. But he's, he, John talks about how Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. Paul, in his letter to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 23, also talks about this, that there's an order of resurrections. First Jesus Christ, and then those who are his at his coming. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that, but God has ordained, there are order, there is an order of resurrections. Jesus the firstborn, and then those at his coming. Okay? Again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that right now because it's not the scope of my study. Okay? Um, but I, what I want to focus more on, and which I'm going to get to, and I want to... Um, read some more to, to elaborate on this. To, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That is important. That is crucial. That is essential. If you don't understand the seven aspects of the Spirit of God, you'll, you'll be fine. If you don't understand the order of the resurrections, you'll be fine. But if you don't understand that Jesus has washed us from our sins by his blood, you're not going to be okay. That makes sense? So I want to focus more on the essential parts. The other parts are, are true, and uh, Scripture talks about those, but I want to focus on Jesus has washed us from our sins. And he has, going into verse 6, he has made us as kings and priests to his God, to him forever and ever, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're going to spend some time with that, okay? Um, first of all, let me just, uh, we're going to talk about this at length a little bit later, but let me just like, mention it right now. Jesus has made us kings and priests. He has made us a kingdom of priesthood. We're going to see this again when we go again to Revelation chapter 5. Okay, he has redeemed us by his blood, and he has made us kings and priests to reign on the earth. We're going to see that in Revelation 5, 9 to 10. But Jesus has made us a kingdom of priests. We're going to, again, like I said, we're going to talk about this in a few moments. A little bit later in our study, but let me just echo First Peter, chapter two, verse nine, that Jesus Peter says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a kingdom of priests. We were alienated from God. We were separated from God because of our sin. But Jesus has washed us clean, and He has made us a royal priesthood. And we're going to get into that. But when you understand that, that's a marvelous thing. Jesus took us from sinners, alienated from God. We could have nothing to do with God. Have no relationship with God. And not only did he give us a relationship with God through righteousness, but he has made us a royal priesthood. That is profound. That is marvelous that we understand that. And we will get into some of that a little bit more later, okay? But again, I want to focus on him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Okay, am I making sense? I know I'm covering a lot of different things right now, so I'm not spending so much time with. But I want to get to the part where I'm talking about Jesus is the grace of God. <coughs> okay, go with me real quick, if you will, to John chapter 1. 
the Gospel of John, same author, chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we'll skip down to verse 16. Uh, we'll read 15. John bore witness of Him. Now, the John that he's talking about here is John the Baptist. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This is He who I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Verse 16. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And verse 16 is really what I want to get to. And we read this, we heard over this many times through the years. And of his fullness we have all received. And grace for grace. John here in the Gospel of John is talking about the first coming of Jesus Christ. And he's talking about when we will receive, when receiving Jesus' finished work. We have all received, of his fullness we have all received. And grace for grace. Let me just say this, I'm going to expound on this for a moment, but I just want to make this statement now. Through Jesus Christ, we have all received grace. And the grace that we receive, we have received that grace for the grace that is already in our lives. I'm going to expound on that. I mean, you might not understand everything I just said by saying that. Okay, but let me just say this: You are not done with grace when you get saved. You are not done with grace when you get saved. Yes, we are saved by grace, but you are not done with grace when you get saved. Let me say this: Before you were ever born, I'm not even talking about being born again. I'm just talking about before you were ever born. The grace of God was on your life. That's if you understand what I just said, that's profound. Because that means the grace of God was on everybody. Before we're ever saved. Before we were born. But turn with me real quick. If you don't believe me, it's up the word of God and confirm what I just said. Second Timothy chapter one. Second Timothy chapter one, verse nine. Picking up mid thought here, but Paul says to Timothy, um, I'm going to go ahead and read verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time ever began. Do you, do you, do you get that? 
not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God's purpose, God's destiny, and God's grace was on your life before time ever began. Before you received him, before you were saved, before you even knew about him, God's grace and God's purpose was already in your life in Christ Jesus. That's profound. Jesus is our Savior, but as we even read last week, Jesus is also the Creator. He created you. And no matter what your story is, your parents and different things, God created you. And He does not create junk. He never created a mistake. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. And the grace of God, no matter what you've done, no matter what others have done, the grace of God is on your life. That, that makes sense? Do we receive that? <clears throat> he saved us by grace. He called us by grace according to his purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ before the foundation of the world. When we, but when we became born again, we came into revelation of His grace was on us before time ever began. But when we became born again, before we were saved by grace, we came into revelation of that grace. And of His fullness we have all received. Grace for grace. So not only are we, it was His grace on us before we ever from the foundation of the world, but we are saved by grace, Ephesians 2.8. And according to 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18, we grow in grace. We were born with grace. We're saved by grace. And we grow in grace. And then we're going to get here in just a minute. And we'll look at this passage in a minute. But in 1 Peter 1, 13, we are waiting for the grace that will reveal to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Hopefully I'm making sense with this. But I'm trying to bring out some things and then I'm hopefully going to tie it together. So just bear with me. First Peter chapter 1, we'll pick up verse 12. To them it was revealed, not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. What? That sounds good. Am I in the right place? Yeah. I am. Okay. We have things which angels desire to look into. Excuse me. Sorry. I thought I was in the wrong passage. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me uh, transition real quick here. Maybe this is my problem. Let's go to the, I want to go to, I want to read this again, but from, from the King James. Okay. Uh, unto whom it was revealed, verse 12, that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you 
with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope, and hope to the end of, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, a couple things I just want to bring out here and have I get, before I get to, to the main part I want to bring out in this passage. Is that, and it's, it says here at the end of verse 12, um, things which angels desire to look, look into. We notice from here this passage and also other passages that Jesus spoke of that the Old Testament prophets and the, even the angels didn't have what we have in the New Testament. They didn't see it. They didn't have a revelation of it. How we just making sense? But what we have today in the New Testament is something that the Old Testament people, even the angels, did not see and foresee or have. Okay? And we need to know what that is. We need to understand what we have and who we have in Christ Jesus. And we need to appreciate and enjoy it to its fullness. But in verse 13, going to what I'm trying to get to this morning, it says, Therefore, gird up your loins, I'm going back to the New King James, of your mind, be sober. I want to just stop there for a moment, but sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace. How many of you know that when we go through something, in, in the end times, it talks about, many. Jesus said, many hearts will fail them because of the pains coming on the earth. Even on a good day, even without the end times, the last, the last days in mind, we need to be sober-minded. We talked about in some of our previous studies, the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. The, so, the good seed fell on four kinds of soil. The, thorn, the, 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 the pavement, the, the stony ground, the thorny ground, and the good soil. All four of them heard the word of God. But only the good soil heard it and understood it. The thorny ground is a ground that they heard it. But because of the, the cares of this world, the lust for many things, the sinfulness of riches, it choked out the good seed. And if we're not careful, if we're not having a relationship with God and His Word and understand His Word, not just hear it, but understand His Word, the, 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 the cares of this world, the things that are going to happen in the earth in the ages to come, and the things that are even happening in our society and our world today, will, will bring us down if, we are, if we're, our minds are not Fixed upon Jesus, the living word that we talked about last week, and the grace of God. Because it says, therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon what? The grace that is to be brought to you are revealed. Some translations went it out. I forget what translation I read that from. But the, that is to be brought to you or revealed to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
with the revelation of Jesus Christ. I believe that is the second coming. Both Andrew and, and uh, Lawson Purdue confirmed that in their own teachings. Where am, I, where am I going with this? First of all, we had his grace when we were born, at the foundation of the world, before we were born. We are saved by grace, we grow in grace, and we are waiting for His grace to be revealed to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, we're not done with grace the moment we got saved again. We're going to experience His grace for all eternity. And we're going to have His grace when, at the revealing of Jesus Christ. We're not done with God's grace. That is important. Because Peter says here, we need to rest our hope fully upon this grace that will be brought to us or revealed to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Go with me real quick to Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> hopefully I'm making sense, but hopefully I can also tie this in together. And uh, the verse I want to get to is verse 7, but I'm going to start with verse 4. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 4, and it says, But God, i got to stop right there, just for a moment, but God. You know how many times myself and I, others I've heard will tell me, Yes, Dave, I understand the Word of God says that, but you don't understand what I'm going through. I understand the Word of God says this, I understand Jesus is my Savior, my healer, but whatever if I'm at the side of that, but B-U-T. And so many times people will magnify what is on the other side of their B-U-T, but over whatever God says. And I believe if that's true now, when the things start unraveling on the earth in these end times, if what we believe is magnified in our minds versus what God says. Who's do we have a problem? In other words, I don't care what you've gone through. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what things are coming on the earth. But God says something. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. There's a lot in here that I just read. But no matter what you've gone through, no matter how, how bad you may have failed, no matter what people may have done to you, no matter how wicked our society gets, God is rich in mercy and because of His great love which He's loved us. <clears throat> Even when you were dead. No... That's why I say, I don't care what you've done. Because dead is dead. Sin is dead. The wages of sin is death. 
And no matter what you have done, and no matter what, where you've come from, as far as being dead in your trespasses, dead is dead. Okay? You can't get more worse than dead. There's not levels of deafness. I don't even know that's a word. But what, even when you were dead in your trespasses and sin, God, by His grace, made you alive together in or with Christ Jesus. That is the greatest miracle of grace that ever was and ever will be, is your salvation. By grace, you were saved. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. If it was, it wouldn't have been grace. Because it's not grace. If you've earned it, you've earned it. It's not grace. You can't earn grace. That's an oxymoron. It, it, it can't happen any more than you can have dry water or coal fire. You just can't have, you can't earn grace. But by grace you were saved. And by his grace, he raised you up together and made you sit together in heavenly places. Where is Jesus sitting now? On the throne of God, as the king of kings as our great high priest. And he has made you a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are sin he, he made you alive in Christ by his grace, and he raised you up, and he sat you on his throne with him as the king of all kings. He made you a king and priest by his blood. And he did all that. By his grace. Why you were dead in your sins. Why you were alienated from the life of God. By his grace. He not only forgave you. But he also. By his grace made you alive. And raised you up. And sat you on his throne. With him. In heavenly places. By his grace. Why did he do all? Why did he make you alive? Why did he set you on the throne in heavenly places? Verse 7. That in the ages to come. What are the ages to come? Paul is talking about it. Jesus talked about it. John is going to talk about it in Revelation chapter 4 to 22. In the ages to come. We are in a church age. But there are ages to come. Plural. I, I'm, we're going to get into some of that. But even if, if, if you don't know what the ages are to come, there's ages coming. But he has saved you by his grace. He has sat you on the right hand of God. And he has raised you up and sat you on the right hand of God by his grace. So that by his grace in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding greatness of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He of his fullness we have received. We have received his grace for grace, including the grace for grace in the ages to come. Are you seeing all that? I don't know if I understand all that completely. I'll be honest with you. But he saved us for his, by his grace so that by his grace he can show his great kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You know, while I was studying this and and meditating on this, I was thinking of, I'm trying, sometimes I try to think of an Old, Old Testament example. 
And I don't know if I'm right on this, but this came to mind. Remember the Exodus and Moses? And when the plagues began to come on Egypt, where was Israel in Goshen? When the darkness, for example, came on Goshen, I mean on Egypt, there wasn't darkness in Goshen. I'm still trying to figure that out. How can Egypt is only a little ways away be dark and, and, and uh, there's no darkness in Goshen? The plagues didn't come on Goshen. And I'm not, again, I don't want to go here completely. But no matter what comes on the earth, no matter what happens in our world or society, even if they persecute us and take our life, we go be with the Lord. But no matter what happens on this earth, God has saved us by His grace. He has put us on the throne of God by His grace. That we can be kings and priests to rule the earth so that in the ages to come, He may show us the exceeding riches of His grace. I don't know about you. I mean, I just had, I had someone come to me yesterday for prayer. And just said, you know, the devil's just beat me up over this sin. Whatever that we're going through. Have, you, have, you, have any of you ever failed and made a mistake? And the devil just beats you up over it? Or tries to? In the ages to come, and when persecution comes, the world, the religious church, is not going to be, they're going to try to beat us up. I was reading the other day in Matthew chapter 24, verse 10. Jesus said in these last days people will betray one another. People will uh, uh, be hateful and to one another. There's a, there's a lot of wickedness that's going to happen and lawlessness that's going to happen in the world to come. But I don't say that to bring fear. I say that God is the grace of God is here to set your heart on a, on a on a solid ground. Don't let your hope fail you because of the things coming on the earth. Whatever comes on the earth, put your focus on Jesus. Am I making sense? Am I making any sense this morning? Okay. Hopefully this makes sense. But I'm also trying to instill into you this morning that grace happened but at the very foundation of the earth. Grace happened when you were born again. Grace continues to happen in your life through salvation. Grace happens when Jesus comes again. And grace will continue to happen throughout eternity. Jesus is the grace of God, and he has given us grace for grace. He has called us into salvation, and Jesus is not only the living word, Jesus is not only the grace of God, but Jesus is the Savior of the world. Which I'm going to get to, start getting to my third point here this morning. With whatever time I have left. Let's see how far we get. I believe when I'm talking about the Jesus and the grace of God, it goes in with Jesus as the Savior of the world. Those two terminologies come together. Hopefully I'm making sense this morning. Uh, go with me back to John, the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus. He talked about John the Baptist. Coming towards him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, 
who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold. The word behold means to see with the mind. It means to stop, think, gaze on Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No matter what you are going through, no matter what you have done, no matter what is happening or will happen on the earth, see Jesus. Behold him, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Church, I know a lot of us know this, but I have to reiterate this. I keep hearing messages through the church. And through the I even heard a message yesterday about holiness. It was all about performance. It was all about what we need to do. And there was not one ounce of scripture that talked about Jesus taking away our sins. It was all about we need to make ourselves holy. We can't make ourselves holy. Only the, the blood of Jesus can't make you holy. Nothing can. That makes sense? By grace you are saved. Yes, we need to live a holy life, but it's not because of what we've done, it's because of what he did. And hopefully I'll get into that if I have time. Jesus is the Lamb. And Jesus took away the sin of the world. We are to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 1 11. I mean, Romans 6 11. Excuse me. All of our sins have been forgiven. We've been sanctified by the blood of Jesus. We've been justified by the blood of Jesus. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. In Christ, God has no remembrance of our sins. In Christ, God has no remembrance of your failures. In Christ Jesus, God has no remembrance of your shortcomings and your faults. When God sees us, He sees us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our propitiation. Jesus is our Lamb. Jesus is our sin offering. Jesus is our burn offering. When God sees us, he sees us through the Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus became our sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God, Jesus reconciled the whole world to himself. Therefore, Paul says in, in Revelation 5.20, be reconciled to God. He's already made the reconciliation possible. He's already made. He's already paid the price. He already paid the sacrifice. He already paid what the payment. He already redeemed us. So therefore, be reconciled to God. For he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the Savior of the world. In these last days, the devil will try to trip you up, will try to condemn you, that the cross was not sufficient. The blood was not sufficient. That you are dead in your sins. No, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my healer. By grace I am saved. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now go with me real quick here. First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. Pick up verse 1. It says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with Father, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
and he himself, Jesus, is a propitiation for our sins, and not for our only, but also for the whole world. We're gonna I'm gonna read some things that have been con very controversial in the church in the last few years, last several years, really, for that matter. But I want to preface it by what John wrote here. I wrote these things so you do not sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Okay. Go with me back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. So I want to read this, but I want to go backwards, beginning with verse 7. I'm going to pick it up. And John writes, But if we walk in the light, as he, Jesus, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, this is a key phrase, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from some sin. The sins that we confess from all sins. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then we get to the part that I just read, my little children, these things are right to you, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the whole world. So many times we read chapter 2 out of context of what he just said in chapter 1. Okay? Let me just make this statement from verse 7 again. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. From all sin. Jesus, the blood of Jesus. What cleansed you from all sin? The blood of Jesus. Only the blood of Jesus can cleanse you from sin. You can't cleanse yourself from sin. If you can cleanse yourself from sin, the Bible says you are a liar. You can't cleanse yourself. If you, you're saying you don't need Jesus, you don't need a lamb. Jesus is your propitiation. Not only for your sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Okay? We are in a world, but even though Jesus cleanses us from our sins, we are in a world that is infected by sin. It is infected by sin. Okay? We still need cleansing once in a while. When we were born again, our spirit, we're spirit, soul, and body. When we were born again, our spirit was completely made perfect. It was forgiven. It was perfected. It was completed. It was fully cleansed. John says that our spirit man cannot sin. Sorry, I don't have the reference for you. I'll get that for you next week. John says in his letter, he goes up and says, I think it's chapter 3, that our spirit man cannot sin. It's impossible. He cannot sin. But in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. How I many you know when you're deceived, you don't know it? And we're deceiving who? Ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But we, how I many you know we have a spirit that is born again? Your spirit is one, if you are in Christ Jesus, your spirit is 100% like Jesus Christ. But we also have a body. And we also have a soul, our mind, our will, and emotions. 
And our body and our mind, will, and emotions, our soul, still operates in this world. And we need to, by the blood of Jesus, by the word of God, to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. We need to detox ourselves from this world and get into his presence and get into his word and, and to be reminded of his forgiveness and his grace. How many of you know that sometimes, I don't know about you, but there's been times where since I've been a Christian, I have done things wrong. I have done some things I shouldn't do. But the enemy will toy with me that that, that is it's not forgiven. But I need to come back into his presence. I need to come back and be reminded that I am forgiven, that he took my sins, and I need to be cleansed my mind, my emotions, my body. So, I mean, you know, sometimes when I mess up, and sometimes when I'm still in the, in, the, in the red and anger, messing up, I need to come back into his presence to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I need to stop it. That makes sense? Okay? But uh, let me just say this, especially verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, this, this passage is when, uh, has... has there is a great argument in the church today. It's been here for years. And one of the arguments is, is Jesus talk, is John talking to the church or the unbeliever? Is he talking to the believer or the unbeliever? And my answer to you is, yes. Is, is, is he talking to those who are saved or those who are not saved? And my answer to you is, yes. John is talking to both the, those who are saved and those who are not saved. To the unbeliever, I believe he's saying, if you don't, you, if you don't admit that you're a sinner, you can't be saved. Romans three twenty three says, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." All have sinned. Romans five twelve says that the, the, the death came by the one Adam. We were all born in sin, even if you never committed the sin, and you have. But even if you never committed the sin, just by nature. You are a sinner. Sin is the nature of Adam. Sin is the nature of us. We are, and because of Adam, because we're all dead because of sin, we all need forgiveness. We all need a Savior. Jesus Christ. <coughs> Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We were born in sin, we lived in sin, and we all need a Savior. John is talking about that. He's talking to the unbeliever. But to the believer, now that we are saved, we need to admit that we occasionally fell. We need to admit that. It's important that we admit that. I'm not saying that we've lost our salvation. But we need to admit that we mess up once in a while. We fail. We sin once in a while. However, let me say this. I do not believe the major focus of our life needs to be on our sin, our shortcomings, and our failures. I want to say that again. I do not believe the major focus of our life should be on what our sin, what we've done wrong, our faults and our failures. I believe 
the major focus of our lives should be on Jesus. I believe the major focus of our lives should be on our relationship with Jesus. I believe the major focus of our life should be our righteousness that we have with Jesus. Paul says in Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. He doesn't say, get your flesh together and then you'll be walking in the Spirit. He, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.34, awake to righteousness and sin not. He doesn't say, sin not to become righteous. Awake to who you are. Awake to what you have in this salvation in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 4.20 that you have not so learned Christ, for the truth that is in Christ is that you put off the old man and the spirit of your mind, you put on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness and holiness is not what we do. Righteousness and holiness is who we put on. And his name is Jesus. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.23 that we are not born again of corruptible seed, Adam. We are born again of incorruptible seed, Jesus Christ. We are born again and our new nature is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And if we will awake to who we are in Christ Jesus, we will not sin. And John is writing these things so we don't sin. Jesus is our Savior. And we are saved by His grace. John, again, I said this earlier, but Romans 6.11 says that we are to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin. If we're dead to sin, why are we focused on a dead man? We're, focused, we're not just dead with sin. We have been raised together with Christ Jesus, and we have been seated together with Him in heavenly places. Our focus is not on our sin, a dead man. Our focus is on Jesus, our Redeemer, our Savior. Paul says, Christ died for all, therefore all died. Therefore we do not see. We know no man after the flesh. We're not focused on our sins. We're focused on our Savior. Therefore, if something is tripping you up, if something is holding you back, if something is beating you over the head, if something is condemning you, go to Jesus. Ask for forgiveness. Walk away knowing it is done. Don't be arrogant. Don't be a fool. Don't act like you never have any problems. Believe that you have, he has forgiven you, receive it, and walk away from that sin. Go and sin no more. I believe it's important that we have a good conscience before God. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.19, if we don't have a good conscience, it can shipwreck our faith. I believe having a good conscience is living in the balance of grace and faith and righteousness. By grace you have been saved through faith. And we have received the righteousness of God by faith. I believe a good conscience is having the balance of grace, faith, and righteousness. But if we don't have a good conscience, 
if we are not living in the proper balance of that. It will shipwreck our faith. And the deceiver, especially in these last days, is going to try to deceive you. He's going to try to deceive the very elect of God. And he's going to try to deceive you and shipwreck your faith. Especially in these last days. But we, we just simply need to admit that we've blown it. Thank God he has forgiven us. And walk away from the behavior. But if you don't change the root, you won't change the fruit. If you don't change the way you think, if you're not transformed by the renewing of your mind, you will keep acting like you think you are. If you keep thinking you're a sinner, you will keep acting like a sinner. If you keep be, believe that you are the righteous God, you will act like the righteous God. The, the, no, no branch bears fruit of its own. We are grafted into Christ. We are born again. The nature, the righteousness, the holiness that we are to live is in the seed, is in the, is in the nature of God. We are born again, and we need to be reminded that we're born again. We come to his table to be reminded his body was broken for us. The blood of his covenant, reminding that we are the righteous God in Christ Jesus, so that we do not sin. But if we do sin, we have an advocate for the Father. If we do sin, we need to admit we've blown it, thank God for his forgiveness, and, and believe it's done. That make sense? Okay? That will cleanse you, minds, that will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. John, again, John writes these things so that we do not sin. Again, all we need to do is believe it, receive it, accept it, and act like it's true. The blood of Jesus has paid for your sins. The blood of Jesus has declared you righteous. The blood of Jesus has declared you justified. The blood of Jesus has sanctified you. The law has declared you guilty. But the Jesus has declared you righteous. Church, why am I saying this? Because in John 7, verse 7, we need to walk in the light of this. We need to understand this so that we can walk in the light of it. Jesus, you need to understand what is the light of this. Jesus has forgiven you. Jesus has cleansed you. Jesus has sanctified you. Jesus has justified you. Jesus has made you righteous. Jesus has redeemed you. It's all about the blood of Jesus. Jesus is the living word. He is the grace of God. He is the Savior of the world. Go with me back to the book of Revelation real quick as we wrap this up for today. Revelation chapter 1. Go back to verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are voices from And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God. And the Father to him be glory 
and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, and even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so. Amen. Again, we are a kingdom of priests. We are a royal priesthood. See, Jesus forgave us. Jesus sanctified us. Jesus cleansed us as the Savior of the world. And in his cleansing, in his saving us, he has positioned us as a royal priesthood. That's marvelous. We were alienated from God. If, I mean, do you understand this? We were alienated from God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were enemies of the cross. We were enemies of God. He saved us by his blood, and he has positioned us as a kingdom of priests. That is a marvelous, marvelous revelation, if you understand that. See, when he saved us, he purchased us, and he brought us, we became born again. We became born of God. That means we were born into his family. We were raised up and he gave us his authority because we are born of God. We are born in his family. <coughs> we are born with his nature. We are born in him and we have authority in him. He has positioned us in high places in him so that in the ages to come he can show the exceeding greatness of his grace towards us in Christ. If you understand what I'm trying to say, I don't know if I'm conveying it stronger than I'm making it clear, but this is a marvelous salvation we have. This salvation, this grace that we have in Christ is not just so we can live our lives here on this earth to do what we want to do, but to do, yes, the purpose of God that he has ordained and destined for our lives. But he's also saved us by his grace so that in the ages to come, because they're coming, he makes show the exceeding greatness of his grace. He has positioned us as kingdom. He has saved us and put us into a right relationship with him so that he can put us on the throne with him. And we're not just sitting on the throne because we're sitting on daddy's lap. That is a beautiful, loving, awesome thing. <coughs> but God has positioned us for a purpose, for a divine destiny to rule and reign with him as kings on the earth in the ages to come. In the, we're going to get to it. I'm getting way ahead of myself. But in, the church will reign on the earth for a thousand years. And we in the church will reign. <coughs> There's some things that are coming. There's some things that are going to happen. But, but the church is also supposed to be a strong tower. A city of refuge. A place of hope. And salvation, because hopefully, if we are the light of the world as we should be, the world, when the things begin to happen, should come running to the church. And we have the answer. We are the church of Jesus Christ, not only for now, but also for in the ages that are to come. If you understand what I'm saying, and I don't know if I fully understand it, but this is awesome. 
This is powerful. God has saved us. And he has positioned us for such a time as this. Just as he positioned Queen Esther for a very divine purpose, he has positioned you as kings and priests, as a holy nation, for such a time as this. Just as he positioned Joseph, just as he positioned Daniel, and different people. You have been born in this age for such a time as this. Real quickly, I know I'm, I might be going over here, but John chapter 1 real quick. Gospel of John chapter 1. Verse 11. He, Jesus, came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them, he gave them the right to become the children of God to those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. As many who have received him, he has enabled us to become, be born of. You know, we talk about that term being born again, and we almost use it as a cliche. We're born of God. I don't know about you, but that is profound. We were a sinner. We were flesh and blood. We're no longer flesh and blood. We, all who are in Christ, we are born of God. We... And when I talk about Jesus as the grace of God, when I talk about Jesus as the Savior of the world, just, yes, he saved us from sin. That was the barrier. But that was not the purpose. Or the overall purpose. Yes, the purpose was to remove the barrier so we can have a relationship with God. He saved us so that we can be born of God. So those who believe and receive him, he <coughs> how did I say it? I want to say it how did I say it. But we received him through them. He gave the right. That's righteousness. To become the children of God. That's powerful. And because most of us don't understand that, we are not operating as the children of God. Most of us and I say this with love, and I say this to myself, we're operating with a very narrow lens, a narrow perception, a narrow revelation knowledge of our salvation. We are not experiencing even close to the fullness of what God has given us in Christ Jesus because we don't understand being born of God. He saved us from sin so we won't live in sin, but he saved us from sin so that we can be born of God. There is a whole life to be lived. And we're going to get into it next week about eternal God. There's eternal life. And eternal life is not going to heaven. Eternal life is having a relationship with Jesus. There's a whole eternal life that we are missing out on. We're limiting God because we're so focused on dealing with sin. Sin was the problem when Christ dealt with that. Now it's time to live. It's time to reign. 
And we're not reigning. We're letting things reign over us. We're letting society reign over us. We're letting sickness reign over us. We're supposed to be <coughs> reigning over it. John 8.36 says, you don't have to turn to it, but he who the Son sets free shall be free what? Indeed. Indeed. It's the same context that I read last week. If you continue in my word, you will be my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. True freedom, folks, is your new authority and life in Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did. Jesus set you free. <coughs> From sin. He didn't set you free to sin. He set you free from sin having dominion. By grace, grace essentially not have dominion over you. Because you're not under the law, but you are under grace. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus gave you freedom. Jesus' freedom gave you authority in Christ Jesus. Jesus, Jesus said this in John chapter 14, and I'm trying to wrap up here. In John chapter 14, he told disciples, the works that I do, you would do, and even greater works. I taught him this in path from another angle, but I want to I want just think of something from another angle. The greatest work we, we, we could ever do is lead someone to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. No other age before Jesus could ever do that. The greater work we could ever do is lead someone to Jesus. And that includes in the ages to come. The, yeah, I don't know how all that works out and everything, but the greatest work we could ever do is lead someone to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus accomplished by his salvation, for us by his grace, through his death, burial, and resurrection, we are inaugurated to do great things as a royal priesthood. If we understand what a royal priesthood is, if we understood what our <coughs> excuse me, our position is in Christ, we would do great exploits for the kingdom of God. But we're so focused on our problems. We're so focused on our sins. In some ways, we're so focused on fighting in the church instead of being the church. There's a whole world that is going to hell. There's a whole world <coughs> that is experiencing hell in many ways. But if we understand the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and we're living it as a church, we would do exploits. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's try. But Jesus said in Mark 11, 11, that the least of us in the kingdom, in Mark 11, 11, he said that the least of us in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was said to be the greatest of all prophets. But the least, the one who is born again, the one that we, we see as least in the kingdom of God is greater than even John. 
because of the grace and because of the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. We didn't have what they have. We didn't have. We. I did it backwards. John the Baptist and the Old Testament prophets did not have what we have. Jesus hadn't died yet. Jesus hadn't arose again yet when John the Baptist was here. He ushered in Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. But he, uh, he, but because of Jesus, not only that, he also gave us the power of returning. We have the power to use his name. He saved us. We're his children. We're born in the kingdom of God. We're kings and priests. If we understand everything I'm trying to portray, I know I'm kind of rushing through this because I'm trying to wrap up, but what we have in this salvation is a marvelous, marvelous thing. The world doesn't know it. The world doesn't understand it. The world can't receive it. The world doesn't have it. And a lot of the church is blinded from its truth. I'll close with this. 1 John chapter 2. And I'm going over this a few minutes. Thank you for your patience. I write to you, my little children, because your sins are forgiven. You are, you for his name's sake, I write to you fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you old, little children, because you have known the father. I have written to you fathers, because you have, you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. John is writing again in this book. Every day I just talked about in First John chapter one. He wrote this because your sins are forgiven. You have come to know Him who is from the beginning. You have come to know the Father. And I'm gonna do, say this as we usher into our next point that we're gonna get to next week. Jesus is eternal, eternal God. Salvation again is not going to heaven. That's part of our benefits. That's a big part of our benefits. But salvation, eternal life, is knowing Jesus, the eternal one. He has washed us from our sins. And he has made us a kingdom of priests. I don't know if I've really established the kingdom of priests as well as I like to. But we understand that. <clears throat> Especially in the ages that are to come. That's why I'm sharing all I'm sharing this because we need to know this on any day. But I'm sharing this and prerequisite to the yeah, talking about the end time stuff that are going to come on the earth. We need to know that we have Jesus is the living word. We need to know that Jesus is the grace of God. We need to know that Jesus is the savior of the world. We need to know that Jesus is the eternal God. And that he is the resurrected king of eternity. We need to have a relationship with him. And we, because of who Jesus is, we need to know who we are in Him. That's important. On any day, on a good day, our best day, our worst day, and also in the ages to come. Lord, we worship You. We magnify You. We give You thanks. We give You glory. We give You honor. We worship You, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last, the one who was, who is, and who is to come. We worship You. We thank You for the prophecy of this book. We thank you for this word that you have given us through John. 
We thank you, Lord, that you are the living word. We thank you that you are the grace of God. We thank you you are the Savior of the world. We thank you you are the eternal God. And that you are the resurrected King of eternity. We magnify you, we glorify you, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock for a Bible study. God bless. Thank you.